Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Okay, so my name's Janelle, for anyone who might not know me. Hi. <laughs> I'm part of the leadership here at Eastgate. I'm doing the teaching today. When, uh, it's kind of echoey up here, boomy. I don't know. Okay, Blake, I'm going to give this to you. There you go. Yeah, throw it. Perfect. Exactly what I had in mind. So one thing you might not, may or may not know about me is that I went over to Jacksonville for college. I went to UNF for elementary education. That was my uh, degree that I was working towards. And one of the things you have to do with that degree is constantly create imaginary lesson or lesson plans for imaginary classrooms. You're just doing it over and over and over. If you're going to teach fifth graders this concept, how would you do it? And if you're going to teach third graders this concept, what would you say? What books would you use or videos would you reference? I don't remember almost any of those that I created. There is one, though, that stands out, and I'm going to tell you about it. It was teaching the kids about the sun. So I don't remember what grade, but we're teaching them about the sun. So I'm putting together this imaginary, this lesson plan for this imaginary classroom. And I'm saying, okay, the kids would use these worksheets and read this part of the book and watch these movies. And all of a sudden, I got this great idea. I thought, wait a second, the sun is right outside. I'm not teaching kids about icebergs that we have to take a lengthy trip to get there. We just step outside and we can see the amazing effects of the sun. So I'm like, Let's, we're going to take the class outside. I'm not going to be a regular teacher that stays inside. I'm a cool teacher. We're going outside. You know, look at the plants, look at this, and let's end by all staring at the sun and just how amazing it is. It's just beautiful. So I'm writing it down, feeling really good. Like, oh, my professor's going to love this. And I can't wait to hear what she has to say. And I did hear what she had to say. <laughs> and it went something along the lines of, your lesson plan could literally cause blindness to all of the children. You should never look directly at the sun. Not only should you personally never do it, you should never tell a classroom full of kids to do this. And it wasn't that I didn't feel smart when I read those notes. I just felt really, really foolish. Like, Obviously, I know not to look at the sun. There's a reason I wasn't blind writing the lesson plan, because I knew up to that point looking at the sun is a bad idea. But I just got caught up in the moment. I don't know if anyone else has ever done that. We're just kind of snowballs. Like, I'm going on my own hype. Like, I got this. But I didn't really stop to count the cost of what I was working towards. I didn't really stop to think through my plan. And today, Jesus is going to be warning us about that very same thing. He's going to be telling us to stop and consider what the true cost is of following him. Don't get caught up in the hype. Stop. Think this through is what is going to be his warning today. Last week we talked about, we talked about in the beginning of Luke chapter 14, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath and the Pharisees didn't like that. He also went and turned to the Pharisees and instead of saying you were right, he talked to them about the importance of humility and how that needs to take a big part of our lives. He also then went on to say, when you're having a dinner party, you're doing things, make sure you invite everybody, not just those who would normally be your friend, but go out into the streets, find those that would be neglected and otherwise forgotten. Bring those people in. Those are the people I want included in this. And that's what I love about God, is he does this over and over throughout the entire Bible. He finds those people that would otherwise be neglected or forgotten, and he says, no, you're with me. Come on here. Where the world might have all sorts of labels for us, Jesus calls us loved by God. Today we're going to be reading Luke 
chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. We're going to be using the NIV. And before we jump into it, I want to ask a question that I would love for people to answer out loud if you're feeling brave enough. And the question I have is if you were to describe Jesus in one word, what would that one word be? Like if somebody, you're telling them about Jesus for the first time and you're only given one word to say it, what one word would you use to describe Jesus? Love, Savior, what else? Life? Patient. Okay, great. These are really good answers. There's no wrong answer. This wasn't a trick question. Uh, I mean, I guess there are some wrong answers, but I didn't hear them from you today. (laughs) I'm not that kind of teacher, unfortunately. Okay, so let's go ahead. Keep those words in the top and fresh in your mind. Love, patient, savior. We're going to read chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So this doesn't really line up with the Jesus y'all were just telling me about. Like, is this the same one? I liked yours a little better. Um, what's fun about teaching today is I get to say, Dad, I've been waiting so long to tell you this. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> this is my moment. Uh, no. I love you, Dad, despite what Jesus tells me to do. Okay. So... the truth is there are several verses like this in the bible that make me incredibly uncomfortable i was really excited to teach today because it forced me to confront these verses that i would otherwise choose to ignore these verses that i'm like i'll just bunny hop past that section you know it makes me squeamish because i like the teddy bear version of Jesus. I like the one where he's like, come on in close. And I'm like, okay, Jesus. Because the truth is, if I'm being honest, just like the Pharisees, I go to the gospel with my own set of expectations for who I want Jesus to be. And if I'm being honest, every time I go to those gospels, Jesus requires me to surrender those expectations if I'm to get a fuller picture for who he really is. But how do we make that work? How do we make that work? How do we reconcile the Jesus that says this? This is my command, love each other as I have loved you. How do I reconcile that with this command to hate? Or this one, but love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Or this one, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Or John 13, 34, 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. How do we reconcile these commands that say to love and to hate? Has anybody else ever struggled with this verse? Clearly, Jesus is using a strong language here. And it doesn't line up with everything else. And we have to stop and ask ourselves why. Why why would he say both of these things? So let's consider the different possibilities. 
One option is Jesus forgot he told us to love people. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, now that you mention it, love was my ministry. Um, or maybe he made a mistake. You know, maybe he made a little whoopsie. He walked away from that teaching with the disciples and prayed to God like, oh, no. You said we were supposed to love, and I just told everyone to hate. You don't think they were writing that down, do you? We can move on. Okay, so do we believe in a forgetful Messiah, a Messiah that makes mistakes? What if the verses about love and about hate were both intended to make us stop and question? For example, we think of Jesus as loving. Like that was a word we use today. And that would be a word that I would use to describe Jesus if I only had one. But at the time, everybody there waiting for the Messiah was waiting for like a King David to come in on a horse and defeat the Roman armies. You know, the Romans were suppressing these people and they were waiting for freedom from that. And instead of Jesus coming in, telling them to get in their battle stations, he comes in and says, no, I want you to love everybody, including these Romans that suppress you. I mean, I'm sure at that time that would stop them in their tracks because it confronted them with the reality, not their expectation, but the reality of who Jesus is. And maybe this verse about, lo- about hating father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, maybe that is meant to make an even sharper point. Another way you could translate the word hate in Greek is to love less. So we can all go, oh, he just means to love less. Father and mother, wife and children. I mean, yeah, we could see it that way. But if that's what he's saying, then he's still saying stop. Think about those closest connections you have. Think about those people that you love most. Can I be number one among them? Jesus is saying, can you love those things less than me? Jesus, in these verses, is saying, stop before you take another step. Ask, we have to ask ourselves, what am I willing to give up in order to follow Jesus? He wants us to start there. And that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves, and we can only answer for ourselves. I can't say what everybody else in this room is willing to give up for Jesus. I can only look within myself and ask that question, what am I willing to give up in order to follow Jesus? And I think that question is answered by another question. I think the question of what am I willing to give up for Jesus is answered by the question, what was Jesus willing to give up for me? He didn't go halfway. He didn't dip a toe in the water. It was the whole thing. So let's keep reading. We're going to read the next couple of verses. They're going to reemphasize this point. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go out to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. So verse 33 is telling us exactly what he's been trying to say. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, 
you have not the in the same way those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples cool there's <laughs> no problem uh as i mentioned before you get laughed at when you foolishly work on things without thinking them through i've been there more than once i have so many examples but i chose that one today um here jesus is reinforcing the importance of thinking this through think this through Think through the place Jesus has in our hearts because he is not settling for anything less than the number one spot. There is a possibility sometimes of hearing these verses and not quite understanding how it plays out in real life. I don't know if anybody else has that issue. But, for example, I could say this morning, like, okay, I have decided, Jesus, you're number one. I've made that commitment. I've made that choice. I'm going to live that out. Sounds good. What do I do next? Where do I go from here? What does that look like in real life? For example, in the mornings, when I wake up, I try to read my Bible devotional before I even get out of bed. But I have a two-year-old, and he wakes up early a lot, and he's crying for me. He needs his mom to change his diaper, get him something to drink, get him something to eat. Do I say, sorry, son, at church I decided Jesus is number one, so you have to wait. And I chose an extra-long devotional today, so... Is Jesus telling us to ignore the needs of those who depend on us in order to be a righteous follower? If my friends call me and say, hey, do you want to go to a movie? Do I say, no, I have to serve Jesus in some capacity instead. I have to go look for a cross to carry. In fact, I'm supposed to give up everything I have, so I really shouldn't have a cell phone to be talking to you on. Don't call me here again. Do I surrender friendships, parenthood? Do I surrender my house, my car? Do I surrender movies or dessert? Other things that I love, do I do that every day on a daily basis in order to be a good Christian? I can't think about how many times I have been made to feel bad if I can't think of something I'm actively surrendering for God. If I can't think of a cross that I'm currently carrying and can prove to other people. If there wasn't some place that I was uncomfortable or some specific thing that I had just given up, then I'm failing Jesus. There is an effortless guilt that flows from this narrative. There is an effortless guilt from this narrative that if we follow this way of thinking, the space in which we can coexist with God becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and it's suffocating we have to ask ourselves by what standard are we measuring our holy work by what standard are we measuring our time and activities if it is only by the standard of surrendering our things then we are yet again missing the full picture of Jesus It can be difficult to know where to start when it comes to following Jesus. Like I said, I've made that decision. What do I do? And unfortunately, there are not a hundred Jesuses waiting in the courtyard for us with like our names on little side, like this Jesus belongs to Blake and this one, just follow them around. So how then do we follow Jesus? Well, if the verses of love and hate are meant to be working together in harmony, then we go back to the verses we mentioned earlier. 
Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's exactly what he's telling us in these verses. This is a consistent message. We don't have to overlook. It's right there in the first verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We follow Jesus by following his commands to love God and love other people. When we live by this standard, it's not a small space that keeps getting smaller. This standard, the whole world is opened up to us. We talked earlier about the cost of loving Jesus, and living this way is not without its cost. There's actually a high cost to loving God and loving other people. Susie shared that this morning. It's a cost that's not found in getting as religious as we can. It's a cost that's found in offering self-sacrificial love to God and to the people around us? Can I put their needs before my own? Can I be willing to give up my plans if Jesus leads me in a different direction? That's a tough one, because I feel like I come up with some good plans sometimes, and Jesus is like, no, forget that, we're going this way. I'm like, all right. Can I forgive even when I don't want to? Can I surrender my ideas that I'm pretty sure are right, but can I surrender those? And be open to what other people have to say. And be open to the places God might be convicting me. Jesus was telling the Jewish people at that time to love the Roman army. The people that were suppressing them. Actively hurting them. What are those groups in our life today? Is there a group that we just automatically think, oh, if they were gone, that would be amazing. Or a person. This is where he asks us, count that cost. Think through, are you willing to love them too? And I'm not saying without healthy boundaries. I don't want anybody to be in a relationship that's abusive or something that they hear this and think, well, Janelle said, that's not the same thing. But the truth is loving God and loving others in a self-sacrificial way can sound really beautiful on Sunday morning. I can't remember how many times I've like heard that story. I'd like, that's going to be me. I'm going to be the most sacrificial. You just wait and see. And the truth is, actually living that out is not as fun as it sounds. It's incredibly painful. It's so painful. It's messy. It's exhausting. But it's also worth it. It's also something 10 times out of 10, I do again. We are constantly in interactions with other people. In the store, online, that counts. You still have to be a Christian online. I don't know who needs to hear that. Um, (laughs) Online, in the store, with our family, at church, at work. We have constant opportunities to live this out. Anywhere we go, we have the opportunity to live this out. And it's up to each one of us to decide how far we're going to take that. So let's finish up. We're going to read the last two verses. Verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. 
Man, so it's, it's not even good enough for the trash. Okay. Jesus finishes up this pep talk by saying that salt that loses its flavor is good for nothing and is thrown out. Jesus never seems to be interested in making sure these teachings end on a high note. <laughs> like, i got to make sure they stick around. No, he just ends with that. And he drops the mic and walks away. So, But he does seem interested in making sure that we understand what we're called to do. So going to the gym is kind of intimidating for me for lots of reasons. Uh, but one reason going to the gym is intimidating for me is that there are so many different machines with different things that they do. Like they're built to tone different muscle groups and I look at it and I'm like, I don't know, does my foot go here or my hand? Is this working on my back or what? Is there a muscle in a knee? You know, I'm like going through it all. It's very overwhelming. And I look at it and I think, I know you're made for something. You have a purpose that's good. I just don't know what it is. Has anyone else looked at their own life that same way? Like, I'm looking at myself, I see you. There's potential here. I just don't know what the purpose is yet. I don't know what my purpose is yet. Jesus goes from explaining the cost of following him to explaining the purpose of salt. And I believe here that Jesus is telling us that our purpose is found in following him. We find our purpose in following Jesus. God has built us for a purpose. He has created us to love God and to love others. We were made for that life. And here would be another example of freedom found in Jesus. Because just like salt can be used on almost anything and make it better, so can our purpose. And here's what I think is the fun part for me, is that we now get to think about the things that we're passionate about. We get to think about the things that we care about. We get to say, God, is there something specific you have called me to? And if we feel like God has told us that thing, we get to go do that. If we can do those things while loving God and loving others, then we are fulfilling our purpose. So if you like traveling the world, travel the world. Love God and love everyone you meet along the way. If you like being present with your children, if you like to garden, if you like to make cookies, me. If you like hanging out with your friends, think about those things that make you you. We each have unique personalities, unique giftings, unique things that we're interested in and passionate about. And God gave us those things for a reason. And if we can love God and love others while doing those things, then we're living out our purpose. It's that simple. We can live out of those things and put God first. And I will say, however, if God guides us to give one of those things up, then we have to do that. But Jesus is telling us that living a life without following that purpose is a wasted life, just like wasted salt just like a piece of gym equipment that nobody ever learns how to use and it gets dusty and it's thrown out. Jesus is with a group of people that are just starting to follow them and instead of just starting to follow him and instead of turning around to the crowd saying, hey, if you were to die today, do you know if you'd go to heaven or hell? 
He says, stop, stop. Don't take one more step unless you really mean it. Don't take one more step unless we are willing to give up everything. By listening to these commands of Jesus, we find the cross. We find that self-sacrificial love. But we also find life and we find purpose for living. So let's leave here today. Yeah, I'm done. (laughs) Let's leave here today remembering our purpose. Remembering that we were made to be like salt, which enhances the flavor of everything it touches. We were made to serve a purpose greater than ourselves. Let's remember that. Let's remember that we are called to love the people around us, even those we might not want to. We're called to love them anyway. And we're called, most importantly, to love God. Let's remember that Jesus has no interest in being among the many things we love. He wants to be first. He's requiring that. Jesus is asking us if we're willing to give up everything in order to follow him. And while we think about that, let's not forget what Jesus was willing to give up for us. Sound good? All right, that's it for today. Robert's going to pray. Amen. Well, let's uh, close with, may the peace of the Lord Christ be with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Don't forget Susie Kuja's place. Head over there. The directions are in the bulletin. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be people here. They have a table in the back as well to look at that. Go in peace, you children of God.